0: David Wood is a former consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies. He has built the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for life coaching and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. As well as helping others, David is no stranger to overcoming challenges himself. Having survived a full collapse of his paraglider and a fractured spine, witnessing the death of his sister at the age of seven anxiety and depression and a national gong show now david i watched that national gong show and it, oh, was, yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a gong show but those links will be in the show notes so oh, thank goodness. you and we will be right back
1: have you ever felt like giving up quitting throwing in the towel?
0: Welcome, David. So, we finally got together and I'm so glad to have you on Never Ever Give Up Hope today.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: All right. So, let's start with, if you would please, share a bit about some of the trauma that I mentioned in the opening statement there that you've had to overcome. Mm.
2: Well, hearing that introduction, I realized some things sound like a big Drama or they sound like a huge thing that you'd need to overcome and they're kind of you know They get people's attention, but some of those weren't that bad Really, okay, it was my relationship to it was like, ah, you know, that was fine For example breaking my back in a paragliding accident. I had a good day that day I quite enjoyed the flight people were really nice to me. I had a lot of pain Yeah, but it was actually just quite a pleasant day and an enjoyable experience which might sound crazy which brings me to a really important point it's not really what happens to you that is the tragedy or the failure or the drama it's our relationship to it that creates that the things that have been harder for me uh dealing with anxiety and depression for 20 something years i keep thinking i should be over it now i'm a life coach (laughs) I should, you know, I've tried a hundred different things, and I'm still going. I should be over anxiety and depression and fatigue. Uh, Sometimes I see that as a failure, and that has been hard to overcome, hard to learn how to manage it, how to be successful in spite of it. I could also say I was I failed in my marriage because I had a lot of issues with intimacy, which is partly why. will will bring us to the book eventually but i had shut down my emotions i wasn't good at identifying this is what's happening for me and then cluing the other person in so my poor wife you know what she had to go through uh that was really hard for me and now i can look back and say i am now happily divorced to a wonderful woman and i went stayed with her and her family a few years ago and her son calls me uncle david and so I now consider that actually a success story. I could say I failed career-wise because I was there on Park Avenue, consulting to Ford and Sony Music and Exxon and Chanel at the age of 24, and and it, it looked like it looked like wow, look, you know, I've got everything, but I wasn't happy and I had stress. And I had to go inside and sit with teachers and gurus and find out what it is to be human. Um, and I gave that career up after qualifying as an actuary after eight years of blood, sweat and tears.
0: Really?
2: I said, this is not what I want to do. And I went, well, you saw the gong show. I started being an entertainer because it was a dream of mine to play guitar and sing and have people laugh and get them all coming together Uh, and i failed at that because i can't sing i'm a a terrible singer i'm a bit better now than i was then but a terrible singer i was a good entertainer every single one of these it's like well i failed but was it a failure because i still earned ten thousand dollars as a terrible singer it's kind of amazing and then i went into coaching and that stuck i've been at coaching for 25 years now and I've had plenty of failures along the way, products that didn't work, didn't go anywhere, things that I tried to do, collapsed plenty of times. I've been in tears because of the pressure. So, yeah, lots and lots of, of failure that particularly at the time felt like huge failure. And then later on, looking back, I said, all right, well, you learned something, you picked yourself off up and you got back to it.
0: Those aren't really failures, though. They are stepping stones. And that's, I think, the point that you're making, correct?
2: Yeah, wh- when you look back, that's when you can right. see them as stepping stones. While you're in it, it can feel devastating. And that's fine, too. It's like, oh, wow, I feel like a failure. You know, I'm launching this book in, in two and a half weeks. I don't know what's going to happen. If it doesn't go as well as I think uh, it, it, it should, I might feel, like a failure, that Mm -hmm. could happen. I'm Mm -hmm. risking that, I'm risking that to launch the book and I'm willing to take that risk of feeling like that.
0: And risk-taking is one of the things that you're going to talk about today as well.
2: Oh, courage is where it's at. Yeah, if we stay in the comfort zone, uh-huh. If we stay comfortable, it can get pretty uncomfortable over time. And I, I've got a quote on my shower curtain. It says something, something like the comfort zone is comfortable, but no growth happens there.
0: That's good. Excellent.
2: Thank you. It's in the courage, which is scary, right? It's in that that place where you go, oh, that conversation could be awkward or I'm I'm hesitant to say that or I don't want to ask for that because they might feel awkward. Like it's, it's those uh. places that we need to cultivate and say, you know what? I am willing. I am willing to be uncomfortable because I don't want regret when I'm on my deathbed. I don't want to say, I wish I'd asked for more. I right. wish I'd express myself more. I wish I'd said that doesn't work for me. I wish I'd said, I love you. No, let's have those conversations now might be uncomfortable. One thing that that I say in the book is you can choose the discomfort of wearing a mask or the discomfort of telling your truth. One of these has far greater upside.
0: Along with that, one of the statements that you made was no matter who you are or what you do, you are the most lovable when you are transparent.
2: Yeah. The way I grew up, is, is by thinking if I'm really successful and if I don't show any weakness and I show, look, I got it all together, then people are going to love me. Well, that doesn't seem to be how it actually works. What happens is you might get attention, you might get praise and you might get approval. But there are two problems with this. One, you know at a core level that they're not loving the real you. So you can't let it in. Any love you get from any kind of an act, and most of our acts are subconscious, any love you get, you're not going to trust, and you're not going to let in, you're going to feel isolated and lonely.
0: Let me stop you there for a second and ask you, why do you think that is?
2: Which part of that?
0: Well, were you, the way, the way that you feel, the way that you make the assumptions of how people are going to respond, react, etc.
2: Well, we see people who are successful and they seem to get opportunities like money and and praise and you look at us as celebrities like oh man I wish I had that life or that rich person I think early on maybe it was who I was hanging out with but as a kid if I if I was vulnerable and shared say that I was angry I probably I might have gotten in trouble if I shared that I was sad I might have gotten in trouble for crying so unfortunately you know most of us didn't grow up in an environment that encouraged Mm -hmm. sharing of of our real selves, like, hey, how are you feeling right now? What are you aware of in your body? What kind of thoughts are you going through your mind? We said we're going to the zoo, and now we're not. How is that for you? I wasn't encouraged to discover what I was feeling and to share it. My parents also grew up in country towns in Australia, and so they didn't have the education to know how to do that. So I think it's natural for us to think, I'm going to present a shiny image to the world and then people will like me. The problem is, first, pro- the two problems, first problem, they can never like the real you. They just like what you're showing them. It's not until you reveal, oh, actually this is how I'm feeling, or this is something I have a little shame on, or this, but it's not until that they can see you that there's a chance for real love. I got this concept years ago from a book called Real Love by Greg Bear, B-A-E-R. And it really stuck with me. They can't love the real you if you don't show them. Now, if you show them the real you, yeah, there's a chance they might go, Oh, I don't like that. I'm leaving. That's a chance. That's where the courage comes in. But if they do accept you, if they do come closer, if they do say, Oh, wow, me too. Then you have a chance for real love. The second problem with this is people don't connect with you over your perfections. They connect with you. <laughs> that's good. Over your, they connect over your imperfections. You you, you know, when I've got everything going on and I'm successful here and there, whatever, they go, oh, it's great, man, that's amazing. My ego loves it. But it's not until I might share, yeah, I've had 20 years dealing with anxiety and depression I still sometimes struggle with it. Sometimes my days are really hard and just getting out of bed is a win. Some people, not all of them, can go, oh, I can relate to that. I've been struggling with this for 20 years, or I still get anxious, or I'm having trouble sleeping, or I have a health issue, and then they can relate with that. Like, oh, me too.
0: One of the things that you said was that there is risks when you become transparent. Now, this is essentially what you're what you're sharing right now some of them anything else you want to expound on that
2: i want to share an example that just popped into my head when i was doing a course with landmark education the the leader up on stage he'd already been talking for two days and at near the end of the second day he said you know i want to reveal that i'm terrified of people and i was stunned (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like what was going through my mind was you can say that I hadn't even allowed myself
0: mm-hmm. to
2: discover that I was terrified of people. I still am. I hadn't allowed myself to admit that. And I had no idea you could say that even on stage. And when he said it, uh, the second thing I thought was you've been talking for two days in front of people. You're a speaker. What happened as I felt respect, and admiration. I didn't think you're weak. I thought, wow, you can share that with me. I'm so impressed. I want to live like you. I want that level of authenticity in my life. And then the second thing is we all got that despite being terrified of people, he was committed to a life of training people in transformation. He was willing to face his fear every day to make a difference in the world. Talk about connection, bonding, trust and influence from one reveal. That line changed my life and led to the creation of this book, Mouse in the Room, because I want everyone to be able to have that level of artful self-expression in every situation with your kids, with your partner, with your friends, at work, with your boss, with the boardroom. It's possible. And it's, counterintuitive, but it leads to all the good things we really want in life.
0: We definitely wanted to talk to you about the book. But before we do that, I want to ask you why is playing it safe the most dangerous thing you can do? You kind of answered that, but I think that is crucial to possibly expound a bit on.
2: Look, safety is a primal drive. It's an evolutionary trait. If we just kept on jumping off cliffs, there wouldn't be many of us left. (laughs) So safety and comfort, I'm all for it. And often I just want to feel nurtured and I want at least the illusion of safety. I'm always striving for that. The thing is, if we let that be our mantra, if we let that be our guiding principle and we, we live by safety and comfort, which is what's happened to most humans, then the risk is huge regret. The risk is that on your deathbed, You'll look back and say, I really could have asked for more. I really could have moved and lived in that country. I really could have done that second career. I really could have said no to my boss and actually said the truth. I really could have confessed. I really could have apologized. I wish I'd said I love you more. I don't want anybody to have those regrets on their deathbed. So I'm here beating the drum to say, Read the book, mouse in the room, discover what's truly happening for you, and then artfully name that so you can come into connection with those that matter to you. And what happens when we do that is people start to trust you more. They start to actually love the real you and you have more influence. You have more sales. They want to hire you. They want to promote you. They want you in the meeting. They won't always know why but subconsciously they can feel the congruence between who you are and what's coming out of your mouth.
0: It's like you're becoming a magnet.
2: Yeah, you're a magnet. Now you will also repel some people and some things. Mm-hmm. You start okay. telling the truth. Some people go, whoa, I don't want this level of truth. They're gone, that can happen. But other people, I like, like to give this, you know, when I think of like, what was a really scary thing that I said to someone and it turned out well. Um, <laughs> And and do it in a business sense, because I, I don't want people to think this is just self-help. This is absolutely self-help, right. but it's also got amazing business application. When I was sitting with Jack Canfield at a luncheon, and that was a huge feat for me, to be sitting next to him and beat out the hundred other people that mm-hmm, were trying to sit mm-hmm. next to him. I'm like, woohoo. And I, I loved Jack then, and I love him today. I think he's an amazing man. And I wanted to ask him to write the forward to my book. I did. I said, Jack, I've got a bold request and I named what we call in the book a desire mouse. Uh, I have a desire. Would you consider taking a look at my book and seeing if it's something worth putting your name to? Big, bold request.
0: No kidding.
2: So that was a desire mouse. But here's the second thing. I, I, I said, look, I can't believe I'm telling you this but I wanna be really upfront with you. I've also asked Richard Branson to write the forward. And if he says yes, I'm gonna get, this isn't for this book, this was for my, my last book. If he says yes, I'm gonna go with that. And I'm wondering, again, I know this is like an outrageous request, would you be my backup if he says no?
0: Oh my goodness. And
2: Jack, classic Jack, he said, oh, well, you're going alphabetically. I I can understand that. <laughs> and I, I, I loved him for that. He just like, yeah, you know. And he said well i'll take a look and and we'll see one thing led to another and in the end richard branson did say no he passed on it and jack said yes i could jack could have said screw you right Uh, you know i'm not going to be your second choice but i like to think that that kind of nosebleed honesty one of my coaches christine mcdougall used to call it that nosebleed honesty had me stand out in some way from all of the other people. You know, I ended up, I now call Jack a friend. I think he's an incredible person. And I don't think I would have been voted into the Transformational Leadership Council, which Jack created with John Gray and people like Marianne Williamson and Don Miguel Ruiz as a member. I don't think I would ever have a shot at at hanging out with those people if I was doing the old David. The old David from before this book, Mouse in the Room, the old David from I'm just going to present the shiny thing. I'm just going to impress you and you're going to love me because of that. Oh, I tried something radically different and I believe it's paid off over and over and over again. It's counterintuitive. You need some faith. But Mark Manson said the more you try to get people to like you, the less they will. And I firmly believe that. So try this. Now, I'm not saying just go and blurt everything out to everybody, no. I'll show you in the book when to name a mouse, when not to name a mouse, when it, and also how to artfully do it because there are ways to, to mess it up. Of course. And if you follow the steps in the book, your chances are much better. It's going to be well-received, personal understand where you're coming from and where you want to go with this versus, hey, I'm pissed, we need to talk that doesn't tend to work very well. So we'll give you a model. I'll give you a model that you can follow.
0: We're going to talk a little bit more about that and just take a quick break. And when we come back, that is going to be the focus, the book and what it can do for us, not just as individuals, but whether we're in business. And as you said in the blurb, whether you're a parent, a partner, a business person, or any other number of things, correct?
2: Yep, it's got application for any relationship you care about.
0: Absolutely, and we will be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Well, this has certainly been exciting listening to you so far, David, and I know that you have a lot more to share. And one of the things that is going to be exciting for all of us is to hear about the book because the name is intriguing, no question. Mouse in the Room, because the elephant isn't alone. I mean, that grabbed my attention immediately, and I'm sure it's grabbing attention Potentially of millions, correct? This is the goal.
2: <laughs> exactly. It, it, without, without this title, I don't think I would have written the book. It's, it's the title that allows people to go, oh, wow, mm-hmm, there's a mouse mm-hmm. in the room. I didn't even know about the mice in the room. So it's, it's thank you. I'm glad you said that. All right, it so you attention. run with
0: it. Explain it, whatever you want to share.
2: Okay, great. So it's called Mouse in the Room because the elephant isn't alone. We all know about the elephant. You see it, I see it, no one's saying anything. Well, yes, you should address the elephant in the room. I think it's sad. And it's a real statement about our culture that so many elephants mm-hmm. get unnamed. You know, maybe the meeting's going 20 minutes over and everyone's sitting there thinking, God, I can't wait to get out of here. And the, and the person running the meeting doesn't even say anything. That's an elephant. You know, no one's yeah. addressing the elephant. We should do that. And we could have called the book, Address the Elephant in the Room. But we didn't because many creatures in the room are much more subtle. It's not just about the elephant. Let's start with the elephant. But what about what you're feeling? What about what you're thinking? You might have an emotion, something might be going on with your body. There's so much going on with us that never makes it out into the light of day. These things are mice. So we call it, you know, I call it uh, instead of elephant in the room, I call it mouse in the room because I want people to get there's a bunch of stuff going on with you that maybe the other person's got no idea about. That's a mouse. Mm. Some of the mice are huge. Some of the, It could be a confession from something you did 10 years ago. I coached a client on admitting to adultery 10 years after the fact. Really? And it was incredible. Changed her life. She said, you know, I'll, I'll skip over all the coaching, but she mm-hmm. went and named the very big mouse, uh, confession mouse, we call that, with her husband, and she came back and reported that they both felt like they were floating on air, six feet above the ground in love, in a way they'd never felt for 10 years because of the honesty of that. So it could be huge, like a confession mouse or something you're really worried about saying, or it could be something minor. It might be a desire you have, Hey, um, I noticed the last three meetings, you've come late and I have a real high value on time. And I think it'd be great if we, if we showed up even a a minute early, would you be willing Mm -hmm. to do that? It might be as simple as a desire mouse like that, regardless of the size, if you are willing to have the courage to artfully name it, you generate confidence for yourself, trust, from other people, true connection, and you have more influence. If you're interested in being a leader, people won't follow you if they don't get you, if they don't know your why, if you don't know where you're coming from, if they can't get a sense of you as a real person, if you're just a cardboard cutout, who wants to follow that person? So there's application to any relationship that matters. I think, to. Two questions I'm hearing in here is one is, should you share everything? Which, which mice should be named and which shouldn't? And then there's also the how. And right. I'll do those in reverse order. So with the how, know, and we, we outline a, a, a very simple three-step process called the 3D process in the book. With the how, you're not going to go to the person and say, you know, you really talk too much that's making a universal statement that's like right. you like you are god declaring how this is mm-hmm. out in the mm-hmm. world and that's debatable that person could debate that and probably would they might get defensive what you do want to do is share your experience now i'm skipping over some steps you'll you'll get consent hey, there's something gotcha. I want to bring up because uh, I feel like it's getting in the way of me feeling closer to you or you know, it's kind of uh, having me keep myself back at a bit of a distance and I'd like to talk about it because I, I want us to work together really well. Do you have a couple of minutes now? The person says yes, now you got consent. And then instead of like you do this, it might be I find sometimes in our meetings I'm wanting to say more. I'm wanting to speak and it doesn't feel like there's a natural gap for me to jump in and I don't want to interrupt you and offend you. And so I wanted to bring it up and see what you thought about that. Is there a way I could do that to chime in more? Should I interrupt? Um, What do you think about it? You notice, hopefully, I hope everyone noticed, I didn't say you do X. Yes i talked about me i'm wanting this Absolutely. and i'm not finding a, a natural gap now yeah they might they might get oh yeah they might even say yeah i do talk a lot i get excited or whatever so they might share their mice in response and you get to uh-huh. talk okay uh-huh. great well what could i do what's some language i could use if i feel like you've made the point uh or i've got something that feels important and i want to jump in what could i say some language i like to use uh which is, you can totally go and steal this. Can I pause you? May I pause you is wonderful. Most people say yes. Um, Or may I interrupt also works. May, May I interrupt or may I jump in at this point? Some people just, maybe I'm doing it now. They keep going and you've got something let them know. May I do that? But it's good to talk about it. Yes. And, and, and set up the context for it so when it happens, they understand what's going on versus just launching into it. And, hey, look, for advanced mouse whisperers, sometimes that can work too. I, I was with a, an acting partner yesterday doing an acting scene, and he was kind of on a roll working out some things, and he was saying them out loud and I wanted to jump in and then I waited and then I waited and I waited. That would be a moment I could have just said, hey, may I jump in? I've got something on this. And he could Uh have said, actually, let me finish this. And then, yes. Or, yeah, go. So, so simple. But many of us make it a big thing in our head instead of just working out, oh, what is going on for me and then what would be an artful way to name this mouse too. We don't want to create a train wreck.
0: One of the things that you said you referred to advanced mouse partners and that's what I'd like to ask you regarding when someone wants to implement this into 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 their work, into their marriage, into their relationships, etc. Where do they start? What are the different types of mice? Are they endless or do you basically talk about all of them in your book like where does somebody start and what do they need to look at to change
2: i love it start by buying the book that's the simple answer and then there are exercises in the book that'll that'll help you bring out your mice it will ask you list some desire mice what what are some things you want what are some things you want to change list some toleration mice is there anything you're putting up with at work
0: Mm-hmm. with your
2: boss, with your secretary, with your clients. What are you putting up with? So start to exercise the muscle of awareness. And then once you've got yourself a mouse and you're like, okay, I think I, think I want to name this one. Um, we'll, I'll even help you in the book decide if this is one worth naming. Now, I'm always hesitant saying that because people are going to go, oh, yeah, that'll be awkward. So I'm just not going to name that. No, Mm. stop doing that. Stop ignoring your mice. You're probably naming about 10 to 20 percent of your mice. I'm writing the book to encourage you to name about 80 percent of your mice. So that's a Mm. big shift. No kidding. But there's a 3D process in the book. The first one is discover. You discover your mice. Oh, this is what's going on. And even if you stop there, that's gold. At least you now know I feel upset with Jack because I feel shut down in meetings or I feel like my time's not being respected. That's gold. Just that you know it. You could call that a mirror mouse. Then (laughs) the next D in the 3D process is decide. And I'll help you in the book to, to weigh it up. What bad thing could happen if I bring it up? What good thing could happen if I bring it up? What's my positive intention here? And you kind of weigh the scales. That will let you decide, okay, you know what? Yeah, even though it might be awkward and I a uh, person might be upset with me, the upside is quite high. I, I could finally sleep better or I could get that promotion, and that pay rise that I want. So I'm gonna do it. Then the third D, stands for disarm or in american it would be disarm Disarm the person um so that they're in the best possible position and state to receive the mouse again we're not going to go in with i'm pissed we need to talk or (laughs) you talk way too much and you got to stop no we're not going to do that uh there's a simple process to disarm somebody so that they're more likely to go oh like one of the biggest mice that i ever named in, in my life was a historical mouse. It was going back 20, 30 years to someone who'd bullied me at school. And we oh. used to be friends. And then I just felt, I, I resented him for years. And I got coaching on discovering my mice and the impact that it had on me, and then deciding what's the upside, what's the downside. And I decided, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm terrified, which was a new mouse, by the way. Once I realized I was terrified, uh, my coach said, why? Why are you terrified? And I was like, "Huh? why am I terrified? I'm worried he's going to think I'm an idiot. He's going to look down on me. Right. She said, great. Name that. Start with that. Lead mm-hmm, with that.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And I was like, oh, I could do that. So I called him. And I said, I've been holding onto this thing for 20 years. I've been resenting you and I'm letting it go and you, you don't have to do anything. I'm just, I just thought I'd let you know. And he, he blew my mind with the next thing out of his mouth. He said, oh, wow. Oh, wait, I skipped a step. I realized why I was telling this story. When I led with, I'm really scared to say this, but here's why I want to say it. He said, oh, well, what have you got? Shoot. He was, he was disarmed. He was interested. Okay. He was curious. Oh, yeah, what have you got? He could get that I was on my edge and that this was edgy for me. And he wanted to know. So that was amazing. And then I said, well, here's what I got. I've been holding on to this for 20 years. And then he said the most amazing thing. Wow. Well, what could I say I do now to help us move forward? I was blown away. This guy was a jerk to me. I I just that was in my world. He was a jerk. (laughs) In that conversation, he went from that to a friend. And the next time I was in town, we ended up hanging out and he invited me back to his house with a few other friends, which never would have happened without that call. Right. And he said something to me that stuck with me. These for the next 10 to 20 years, he said, I don't think I ever would have had the courage to make that phone call that you made.
0: One of the things that stands out loud and clear in listening to you is that this book is needed Mm. and it is I don't I've never heard of anything like this before I, I know people who practice you know what you're talking about but to have it in a book where you're laying it out step by step and helping people be transparent helping them expose to themselves like you said naming them that's phenomenal that's what a concept i absolutely love it so we know that it's important that people get the book we know that it's also important i am assuming that they go through it slowly that this is not something you sit down with a cup of coffee and 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 read in one sitting you're going you dissect it as you go through it is that correct well
2: well i wouldn't say that i think it's an easy read and it's be it's only going to be about a hundred okay yeah. Yeah. Like who moved my cheese was like 94 pages and that was such an easy read for people. So I wanted to make sure this was accessible okay, An easy right. read. So it's not, it's not dense at all. It's like, Oh, that's me. Oh, oh good.
0: that's, that's good.
2: her. Oh, and from the very beginning, you can start writing down in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. They've got a couple of mice Perfect. here and then go practice one. Go and go and do it. So, um, you may wanna read it more than once because
0: yes. on the okay. second
2: reading, you're gonna get things you weren't ready for the first time. This is how you become an advanced mouse whisperer is you practice it, you practice it, and maybe you read the book again and go, oh, right, yes, I'm gonna do that as well. And we've actually, I've, I've actually got a, a chapter at the end which is all the advanced tips because I didn't want it to be hard to apply. I wanted it to be an easy read, go and practice this right now, and when you're ready, you read chapter eight, which is like the, the nuances and the extra things that you can bring in when you're ready to do that. That was deliberate.
0: What about people who are extremely insecure to the point where this is just so far out of their comfort zone or their realm of thinking? How can this help them to even take that initial step?
2: Yeah, the problem is that when we feel insecure, our natural our default is probably to hide more things. Yes. Like I'm feeling insecure. I'm worried about what the person thinks about me. I'm worried uh-huh. about how the speech is going. I'm worried about if my partner's going to stick with me. The more we feel like that, the, the intuition is I, I'll, I'll just share less. Right. But that just builds the insecurity. The cure for insecurity is mouse naming.
0: Okay. (laughs) because as we
2: start as we start to name these things in the world, Brene Brown said shame is a public problem. So it needs a public solution. There's the only way is to name it. Firstly, you name it for yourself. Oh, I'm insecure. That's a mouse. I'm feeling insecure. I've got a, a friend uh who a really close friend we talk every day we're sending boxes all the time she's in a new relationship and there's a part of me that's like i might lose access to her as she gets Mm -hmm. into this loving relationship i might have less access so i'm a little bit insecure about that i named it hey i notice i'm feeling a little bit insecure a little bit anxious i don't need you to fix it i'm not i don't have a request i just want to name it uh and when you do tell me things like you love seeing a video from me or you love whatever that part of me relaxes a little bit
0: yes yes
2: so you know you don't have to go crazy you don't have to go and blurt everything out to the world overnight but you might as you discover your mice oh i have some shame around this make a shame list mm. make Good. an embarrassed an embarrassed list i'm embarrassed by the fact that i talk so much That's one for me, I talk so much. I'm embarrassed that my ego really wants people to think well of me. I'm embarrassed by um, dealing with anxiety and depression still after all these years. I've had practice at naming those things and the more I name them, I bring the light to them and it allows them to be healed, it allows me to accept them. So that's the answer, if you're feeling insecure one of the subtitles of this book we've been playing with is this is your path to connection confidence and badass leadership why confidence because when you hide things you cannot feel confident right it's only by bringing the light to those things that they can be healed and you can start to accept those things i'm very arrogant it took me a long time to embrace that and say i'm arrogant i often think i'm right and i'm the smartest person in the room i couldn't say that before because i thought people are going to like me less <laughs> no they like me less when i'm arrogant but i can't admit it when i can name it it's like oh yeah you're, you you kind of are okay great now they can feel closer to me because it's named so
0: oh my word that opens up a what an incredible point that's excellent thank you for sharing that <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yes, I'm learning so much. I'm making my notes very quickly, very fast. I mean, and I'm sure that other people are as well. So we are running out of time and I do want you to either give us a summary or possibly a challenge or whatever you would like to do. And also where we can get your book. When this recording goes live, your book launches today. So let us know. Yes,
2: that's right. Okay. So I'll tell you how you can get the book. And I have a desire mouse I'm going to share. So <clears throat> go to mouseintheroom.com. There's no the in front of it, it's just mouseintheroom.com. There'll be a link to get it on Amazon. And today, the day it comes out, June 13, we're having a Kindle special because we want it to be a bestseller. And apparently, that's the game. You drop the price, don't just buy one book for $15.95, buy 16 books for $0.99 cents on Kindle, Right, and then you can go into the back end and gift those to people. I promise you, mouse naming is going to be so much easier if the people in your life and work are already are, are also mouse naming. So for $16, you can get 16 Kindle versions. That helps us hit the bestseller list, and you can go in the back end and email those to people, and it'll load up in their Kindle. Amazon allows you to gift those. I didn't know that until I started this campaign. We're also gonna have some great bonuses, so you're not only gonna get a really great book, um, and if you do buy 10 copies or more, I'm gonna give away a $2,000 program that um, will help you double your revenue and your happiness. So there are a lot of good reasons to go and do it on June 13. If you're listening to this after June 13, that's cool too. Just go to Mouse in the Room, get the book and start mouse naming. I want to start a mouse naming revolution.
1: I love that. so (laughs)
2: we're doing the bestseller campaign. And then if you believe the book is worth it, and only if you believe it's worth it, if you believe it deserves a five-star review, come back a day after you bought the book and leave that review so other people can, can be enrolled in like, oh, maybe I should get this as well. And it also helps the bestseller campaign share it on social media. Hey, I just got this book. Go and get your version and let's start mouse naming.
0: So we want this to be a household concept. Yes. Well, i never heard of it before and I'm sure glad I did. And that's that's the bottom line.
2: It was so well said. I wanna just pull that clip out and put it somewhere.
0: There you go, (laughs) I agree. Mouse in the room, because the elephant isn't alone, available today. And anything you want, anything else, David, that you would like to say in closing?
2: It's been a pleasure. Carol, thank you.
0: And I thank you. I know of 100 people right now today that need this book. Thank
2: you.
1: Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.